Um, and so there were definitely a few nights where there were physical altercations and uh, I was just a kid. I knew if I, I knew when I was young, if I didn't fall asleep immediately, I wasn't going to sleep because I knew eventually the fighting would start and that sort of thing. And it was just me kind of in the darkness, facing the door, listening to sounds, trying to figure out what was going on. And there were a few occasions where I heard a thud and didn't know whether one of my parents was dead. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. It's how we learn and now it's your turn. Let's get it. Welcome to the University of Adversity. And we are back. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you guys are all staying safe out there in this crazy world. <laughs> I have another awesome member from our Fit for Service Fellowship, the Aubrey Marcus Mastermind, joining us today. His name is Clayton Madeira. He's a proud uncle, brother, and son on a journey of self-exploration driven by the sudden loss of his father, childhood trauma, and an overall desire to change his narrative. Through his experience with PTSD, life as an out gay man, and years of self-reflection, he has discovered the value of sharing his story and is for the first time stepping into his truth. So this was a great conversation and this is a topic that I haven't spoken about really on this show and it's very important and we talked about some things that need to get talked about more often let me just say that i don't want to give away too much of it you guys make sure you listen to this right till the end clayton's dropping the heat and he's um he's on an amazing path and i'm grateful to that i'm grateful that we connected in that where we get to uh you know follow and work alongside each other on the journey throughout the year through this the fellowship that we have and yeah, it's, um, it was super great to connect. So you guys make sure if you're not subscribed at the end of this, subscribe, smash that subscribe button on Apple on iTunes, whatever they call it these days. <laughs> and if you can share it with somebody, share it with a few people, take a screenshot, whatever it is you do. But if you got value from it, share it with the world. You guys sit back, relax. Clayton Madeira coming right up and we're live. Clayton, what's happening, brother? How are you, man? Not too much. I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. Where are you at? Where are you living again? I just moved. I moved to Chicago from Boston about two weeks ago. Um, so I packed up my car with literally everything I owned, my cat, and drove about 15 hours during a pandemic. So now we're in Chicago just setting the space up. Cool, man. Two, uh, two cities that I've heard great things about. Yeah, awesome. I love I'm I grew up in uh, New England and have lived there my whole life and all my family's out there, but I always kind of knew for me to take the next step of my evolution that I was going to need to be somewhere else, be somewhere a bit more diverse and kind of carve my own path here. Um, I certainly didn't expect it to be in the way that, that it's been, um, but I will say it's, it's nice to be in a new community, nice to have a new place to kind of set up right now and different projects and just to kind of establish the routines that I've been working the last few years on creating for myself. So it feels more like, all right, well, now you've stepped into your own space. 
what's the next step? What do I do from here? So it's been, it's been helpful, especially at a time where I've got my best friend's a nurse. There's a lot of uncertainty right now and I'm trying to support the people around me while still trying to go forward on my own. Yeah. How is everything for you right now in this, during this time? Like what's happening? What's your, what's your perspective on everything? It's interesting. Um, if I'm honest, um, I have struggled a bit with it because I've, I've personally done a lot of work to get to this point in my life to kind of take control of my life and to live the life I want to live. So there's pieces of this where like, personally, I have still made forward steps, maybe not in the way I envision them, but I'm still, you know, doing the work on myself, trying to do the things I can. And that's weird for me because I'm used to the flip side of it, where I'm the one who's kind of been struggling a bit while outwardly other people are fine. Um, so I try to take the time to recognize exactly what's going on and the fact that people are struggling and support the people in my life. But at the end of the day, especially I lost my dad a year and a half ago. So I tend my baseline is, am I healthy? Are the people I love healthy? You know, are we good in that way? Do we have food? Do we have those sort of things? And once that got taken care of, there definitely was a week or two of some fear. And I think there's healthy fear across the board. Um, my best friend has never lost so many patients ever. Um, and there's a lot of people struggling right now. So I'm trying to support the ones I can, but still also remember that while this path might not be how I envisioned it, the lessons are still going to be there. And it's just a matter of whether or not I actually pay attention to them and take them in. Have you felt like a call to sort of step up during this time? Yeah. I mean, it, it does kind of coincide with, uh, the call I've felt in general over the mm -hmm. last few years. Like yeah. when my, when I lost my dad, I, there's a natural progression of stepping into that role and it showed me a lot about myself. Um, and a lot of, I wouldn't necessarily say negative things, but very eye opening things. Um, and so that's kind of been the need in my life in general, but I definitely feel more of an ability now that I'm starting to kind of find my voice and step into myself in a way I never have that I'm realizing that the things, the stories I have to share, the space that I have to hold for people and those sort of things can actually be even more helpful than I think I've ever previously imagined. Mm. Can you talk about your dad a bit? Like what happened? Cause I lost my dad probably mid 27, July, 2017. So it's coming on three years. What, what, what's that like for you, man? I'm sorry to hear that, but I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to unpack that and, and hear your, what happened with that because that's, that's massive. Yeah, it's, um, I, it's been pretty fascinating. I'm happy to be on this end of it <laughs> um, just because the, I think the year after it happened, all of my defense mechanisms went into effect and I just, I, I've survived a lot of stuff in my life, so I know how to survive, but I certainly wasn't living. And I very much was, um, you know, I was doing everything I could to take care of everything I needed to, but surviving. And I felt kind of like a zombie and emotionally I was pretty detached. My dad was my best friend in the world. I was, I had two friends around that time also lose their dads and I almost felt shame because it was as hard as it was on me but I had such a good relationship with my dad and they didn't necessarily have the same one. Um, but so he on father's day, 
he had a stroke suddenly and I was supposed to go see him that morning and I was kind of tired and he had been working a few days and I didn't do it. And I just texted him and I was like, Hey, I love you. Like I'm a little tired. Let's hang out next week. So out of every piece of it, that's the one that sticks the most because I actually had an opportunity to um, go see him on that day, but there's nothing that would have changed the course of how things went. Um, but weirdly enough, I just, the last time I had seen him was a month before he helped me move all of my stuff, uh, into my apartment in Boston and I was sitting in my apartment in Boston and I had rearranged my room. And so I was sitting and just appreciating the fact that like the space felt like a home and I was in a good spot. And I remember exactly what I was doing. And I just thought to myself, man, this place is my home. Something's about to change and it's not going to be the same anymore. And in that exact second, I looked down at my phone. It was like 1130. My sister was calling me. I love her, but she's notorious for texting one word at a time of like paragraphs mm -hmm. just as things go. So I, at that time, had her on mute for a while, especially at nighttime because she would annoy me. Mm -hmm. um, but so I looked down at my phone and she was calling me and I wouldn't have noticed because it was on silent. And I picked it up and she had gotten the news that he had been um, in the hospital. Something had happened. And he, the year, like a year before, had survived a major heart surgery that he shouldn't have. Uh, he had an aneurysm on his heart. He was 5'3". They said it was four times the size of what Shaq could have at like seven foot four. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And he had it for like three months. And he still demo. He wasn't supposed to do. It could burst at any moment. Um, so he had it for three months. He demoed his bathroom. He like did the stuff he would normally do because you couldn't stop my dad from being him because at a point he was like, if this is going to burst, it's going to burst. There's nothing I can do. Morning of the surgery, it burst. He felt it. He didn't say anything because he didn't want us to get nervous and then went and had like seven hours worth of surgery, survived it. Um, and the cool part for me was because we had that experience, we got to have a lot of conversations about like what it looked like if he ever needed to have some sort of at-home care or anything like that. Like those conversations, not everyone gets to have with their family. Um, and the coolest part was like, when you're a kid, you think especially your dad is Superman. And then you grow up to realize they're a human being. And I am lucky enough that I got to see my dad actually be Superman. I got to see him with a scar all the way down his chest. Didn't complain one time, spent less than 30 days recuperating from major surgery and was like back to kicking ass even more than before. Um, so it was awesome. But when the stroke happened, I just knew, I knew it was done. I knew that was it. And something in my mind did it. And it just so happened that he was always big with synchronicities and believing things lined up the way they did. Um, he lived in Connecticut. I was born in Hanover, New Hampshire. We had just talked like three weeks earlier about how the moment I was born and how was the happiest of his life? And he was like, man, I haven't been back to that hospital in a few years. He happened to visit his friend in Vermont that day when I didn't go see him, had a stroke, got flown into the same hospital. So I ended up being there for my dad dying in the same hospital that I was born in. Whoa. Yep. Crazy, man. Crazy. Yep. So how, how, are you, how are you doing with all that now, though? Um, I'm good. I mean, the hard part for me was there was a lot of hard parts, but um, my dad was the person I loved. He was my, we talked about being partners in terms of everything I did. I ran by him. Anytime I needed support, he was my 100% support system. Um, so losing him 
and not having that person to bounce stuff off of and not having that person to kind of go through things was really, really, really hard. Um, and I think grief is fascinating because all those conversations you think you would want to have in that moment, you realize a few months down, it's like, that's not even close to what I would say. But now it's been interesting because I don't think I could step into the space and the person that I'm becoming if it wasn't for him not being here anymore. And I would do anything to have him back. Do not get me wrong. But I certainly wouldn't be able to be doing and acting and saying the things that I am if it wasn't for that. And part of it was because I had to start actually standing in what I was doing because I didn't have someone to okay every step of it. I just had to start making my own calls and stepping into it. And it was really, really hard. But now it's, I take everything he taught me and I trust that if I live authentically and work within the realms of what my gut instinct is, um, then what I'm doing is right. No matter how I look back. It's amazing when, cause how you say that, that really, um, I really resonated with that because what I was able to do and create as well was because of the same thing. Like he, if he was, if my dad was still here, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now it would have been so different. And as much as we want to have them back, you know, do anything, I'd trade it all. But like, it's, it's weird to think like it, it's almost a gift of empowerment. Like yeah. it's almost like, it's almost like they're giving you your chance to step up to the plate almost. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's been the craziest part. Like my sister was pregnant. Uh, my dad was super excited to be a grandparent there was, there was this difficulty of being so grateful to have gotten the time with him to get 30 years with my dad and have him be the best dad. And even after the heart surgery, we got another year with him. You know, all of those things were amazing. So it was hard to balance out like the pain of it all and then also how grateful I was for every piece of it. But now settling back in, you know, even my niece, um, I just look at there's more of a responsibility now. There's more of a responsibility for me to do the things that I can do, teach her the lessons that no one else is going to teach her that he taught me. And I really think I look at him and I look at specifically my niece's examples of like, this is the time that I have to start blazing my own path here and do my own journey and, and be the example instead of talking about it and getting the okay from everyone. And it's been, it's been a process uh, but I will say everything I've done, even joining fit for service with you, all of those things came down to decisions that I had to make solely for myself. Mm. And that's been the biggest difference. And again, I know if I am making it out of a call or a need or a gut feeling or something like that, he would have supported it anyways, but I don't even just having that crutch to kind of rely on in the ways I used to without that, it made me have to step up and, I can say it's to become more of a man or support my family in those sort of ways. But in general, it's I've learned more about myself than I ever could have before he passed. What's your relationship like with your mom? Uh, it's actually her birthday. Uh, so I called her this morning. Happy but, birthday, uh, mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, she is. Yes, yeah, we're good. I mean, my family... We were, we always kind of joked that we were a bit like Roseanne and them, but it's, we always were like, we were kind of a hot mess, but we still like our individual relationships and telling each other that we loved each other every night. Um, those were the things that we always did, no matter how crazy it got. 
my mom has my mom has definitely uh, been a source of inspiration for me for a long time because she's she battled a lot of things when she was young um, and she's battled mental disease and those sort of and addiction and a lot of things that even in the moments where those things affected me uh, as a child and, and shaped who I am today in a lot of ways, I never saw it. It's, it was hard to see it as her, you know, being the causation of it because she was someone that, that didn't had so many things happen to her when she was young and that caused her to be that way. But still in every turn, she's done everything she could to get herself to be as healthy as possible. And I think, especially for someone who didn't have a lot of tools, she's a really great example of working to be something that you you haven't been able to see. And that really makes me thankful. Wow. So you, you have quite a bit of self-awareness. Has, have you always had that? Like yeah, that? I think, uh, I think it's interesting because I think it's twofold. I dealt with trauma when I was a kid. So that made me have to grow up a bit more um, and spend a little bit more time in my mind. And then I think I came out when I was 14. Um, I don't necessarily know if every person who has to take that inward journey to realize that they're different from other people, if they naturally become more self-aware, but I've just had a lot of instances in my life that have caused me to spend more time inside of my mind and have to check in and outwardly present something to the world. So yeah, and then I spent, uh, I've spent a lot of time trying to unpack a lot of traumas. So that has helped to be somewhat more self-aware, just trying to, it's a fascinating thing, especially like I deal with PTSD as someone who, you know, has dealt with trauma in the past. It's a really fascinating thing as an as a adult to connect like the path that you're on, which is the result of all of these things that happen to you and then the path that you're meant to be on called mm -hmm. to, you know, and try to connect those and figure that out because a lot of, especially when you deal with trauma, when you're young, um, your brain rewires, um, and you basically have to sort of a lot of your, the things you're drawn to called to all of those things as an as adult are the cause of that trauma and not necessarily because it's, what you're actually drawn to yourself. Um, so that's been pretty fascinating. So lots of therapy and that sort of stuff, but I've always kind of been that way. Mm. Well, let's walk, let's, let's go back. If you don't mind, like walking us through your journey growing up, because I know that can be challenging as a teenager, especially, you know, coming out and all that stuff. Like what, what was it like growing up for you, man? Like maybe walk us through how you felt during those times, because I know it's tough in junior high, high school with people and trying to fit into the box, trying to do what you think is right because of what you've been taught by your parents, by, you know, and then trying to fit in with kids, trying to fit in with like different personalities and walk us through that a little bit, man. I'd love to hear a bit about your story growing up. Yeah. So, uh, my mom battled before she was diagnosed with, uh, her mental illness, which was, when I was in my teens, I think 14 or 15. What uh, is it? What mental illness is it? He's bipolar, uh, okay. depressive. So, okay. she, yeah, so she definitely dealt with, she dealt with addictions and she circled through a few. Um, and again, it's generational trauma is one of those things that like it's passed down. Monsters aren't created. I mean, they're not born, they're created. So 
Um, it was a lot of unhealed stuff that kind of came out and caused her to self-medicate in a lot of different ways. Um, so when I was young, it was specifically alcohol. My father and my mom, they were two loving, amazing people, but didn't have the best relationship with each other. So when I was really young, um, there was definitely, outside of just in general, a lot of fighting and screaming. Um, there was a lot of violence that specifically happened at night. Um, and it's always interesting because when you have dealt with stuff like that, um, you tend to pack it in in whatever version you can kind of remember or like accept. And every person does it in this situation. My mom has a version she can accept. My sister has a version, all those sort of things. Um, so I don't, the frequency of all this sort of stuff, to be honest, I have no idea. I just know that it happened enough. Um, and so there were definitely a few nights where there were physical altercations and uh, I was just a kid. I knew if I, I knew when I was young, if I didn't fall asleep immediately, I wasn't going to sleep because I knew eventually the fighting would start and that sort of thing. And it was just me kind of in the darkness, facing the door, listening to sounds, trying to figure out what was going on. And there were a few occasions where I heard a thud and didn't know whether one of my parents was dead. And, but it was, that was my life, you know? So the weird thing about all of it is that's your perception because it's literally what you've lived in. So I had no idea what other people did. I just knew that like when I was in first grade, I had a meeting with my teacher and I wasn't doing well and my parents were there and I didn't have the words to express why I wasn't doing well because I was smart, but I had stuff obviously outside of it um, causing issues and patterns of sleep and those sort of things. And I remember my parents were both like looking at me as if, how could you not be doing well in school? What's going on? And that was the moment that I didn't have the words to say outwardly what had happened, but I realized pretty quickly that like, oh, we don't talk about any of this. Like we don't, we, you protect your family at all costs. And then in actuality, this is the first time I've talked about it in full of like how things happened because I learned very early on, no matter what happens and the more extreme the situation is, the more you protect the people you love and the more you protect your family, even if the situation is not healthy and toxic. So um, that was when I was young. And then, so I always had versions as I got older of kind of making jokes out of things because humor was my defense mechanism. And I always would tell certain versions of stories because I, almost needed to say part of it out loud to make it seem normal. But still I, I knew that like, I wasn't, I was, it was harder for me to show up in school around friends and those sort of things. It was like, I had to intentionally act as if nothing was going on and I had to intentionally act in this way. And it just became kind of normal. And then when I was, let's see, I came out around like 14, 15, um, which is really young. But at that time I, I had struggled with it for a long time in my brain. I thought guys were just really cool. I really wanted to be friends with them. They didn't want to be friends with me. I just wanted to play sports, you know? And then I, uh, I realized it and I was pretty honest about it because I was, I was super depressed and I was unhappy and I was watching a lot of people because even when my parents fought when I was young, money problems, having one income for a family of four, those sort of things were always the, the basis of it but I always realized like a lot of kids I feel like in that situation want to grow up to be doctors and lawyers and be financially set for me I just was like I have the two these two loving parents who can't love themselves or anybody else so how do I make love work 
how do I do this? This seems like the bigger thing because no matter what your job is, um, that's the case. So I promised myself when I was a kid sitting on the steps one day while they were yelling that I would find a way to make love work. And then the hard part was when I came out, I was just instantly in another area watching other people date. And I think the thing that people don't talk about is people come out, but there isn't a step after coming out for us to actually accept ourselves. And in general, everyone, there's not a lot of space for you to accept who you are, but especially after you come out, it's like you've told the world and it seems as though you're okay with it. So then it's everyone else's kind of your family, your friends to decide like how they feel about it. And for me, even in Tulum, I was on a beach sobbing because I came out 18 years ago and I'm still not, as like, it's still the biggest thing that I, I've struggled with in my life and I haven't gotten the space to fully appreciate. And I think it's because there isn't, it's a super traumatic experience. It's very traumatic to be inside your brain, realize you're different, go through all of those things, um, and then outwardly share it with the world and have this thing that no matter what you do defines you. And it's this thing that like, it is what it is. So even... I grew up in a very, I grew up in Western Mass in this town called Amherst. Uh, it's a very politically correct yeah. and very accepting and a very nice bubble, but it almost was more frustrating sometimes being in a bubble where everyone was supposed to be accepting all the time because it wasn't real, like mm-hmm. it was perceived. So um, yeah, it was, that was part of it. And it just kind of was a string of um, just events of having to learn about myself and realize that, you know, even in that situation of just who I'm attracted to, I'm different than everybody else. So I want to unpack this a little bit if you can, man, because this is really interesting. And, you know, I just, you go back to that age and it's such a crazy age. People are so cruel. People are so judgmental. Um, so was it sort of like, did you always know or did you meet girls too? Or was it like, cause I had friends who came out later on at the end of high school, but like they kind of tried to see if what they were feeling was what they were feeling or did you know, or were you kind of, because you don't come across as somebody that's like, you know, there's some, you're like, Whoa, I know for sure. But, but there's some that you're, you're like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, cause just from the way they are, you know, I guess there's yeah. different, you know, the, the, we all have masculine, feminine tendencies and whatever that is, right? But it's it's like it's interesting because at that age, it's such a it's such an emotional roller coaster as it is, you know, with trying to figure out who you are and then trying to understand those feelings and really getting comfortable with those and being able to do that at that age is so admirable, man. Because it's like that's like one of the hardest fucking things to accept at that age. Yeah, I think like if people are, I remember my high school, like, holy shit, man, if you, if you had the courage to do that, like, wow. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's funny because I'm, I'm glad I always take the like, oh yeah, that, that was kind of important. Even like I took my boyfriend to prom, told someone that story the other day and they were like, holy crap. And you're like, oh yeah, I guess that was a bigger step than I've given. I would rather be the person that's surprised by it than, you know, is like, man, I'm awesome. But um, I think, yeah, I just, I always was drawn to other guys. I wanted to, I just thought they were really cool. And then as I got older, it, it shifted and my attraction shifted. I did, 
Um, I dated two girls in middle school, um, you know, but it was like, we would, we would watch It Takes Two with Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, and then we would make out and I would count to like 20 so I could keep watching the movie I wanted to watch. Like, um, but it's so funny because they're just like, the two of them are still people that like are somewhat in my life and I've reached out to because, um, they both supported me through it, even if it was harder. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's this, it's fascinating because you're so paranoid. I think at that age in general, my mom always said before that happened, she would do anything for us to fast forward through middle school. Cause they were like of all the stuff she went through. And there's a lot, especially when she was young, those two middle school years were the worst, just because it's like, you're at such an awkward age, you're transitioning into like adulthood and hormones and that. But for me, um, it was hard. I think the biggest thing was I was accepted by my family, which was amazing, but you're so, you're such an open wound at that time that anything they said, I even throwing their arms around me was hard for me to deal with. And my mom one day was the one who looked at me and she was like, you think we don't accept you. You don't accept yourself. And it was this moment. And like in the moment, it just was super jarring. But looking back, I was like, that's, the, that's the truth. But for my perception, it was the only time in my life that I had seen both my parents cry and they cried because it was who I was and that it wasn't what they wanted. And and the hard part for them was your, they struggled because they didn't know how to protect me. You know, like even a few months after I came out, there was a guy on Cape Cod in Massachusetts is fairly liberal and accepting. And it's not necessarily where you hear the stories of homophobia, but he, there was a guy that went to a bar, met another guy and then got beaten nearly to death with a hatchet and put in a hospital. And I remember being like, Oh yeah, not only is this thing that I am different, people hate it. And some people wish I was dead. And just this gut feeling of having to accept that. And I think that's why marginalized groups, people of color, women, LGBT people are united because on some level we all get what it's like to just be walking down the street normally, have someone realize that you're different, think you're less than, and then wish harm upon you. Um, but it was hard. It was, it was, I had a lot of female friends. Um, I made sure I did not intentionally, but all of my female friends were the most beautiful females in the school. So if you wanted to mess with me, you weren't going to get a date, you know, and I had like some people protect me. It was really tough. And even I tried out for the freshman basketball team and found out after. And I knew I was like, probably not going to make it, you know, but I wanted to do it uh, anyways. And so it was one of those tryouts where I found one guy and I was like, look, I'm going to make this team because there's politics and having played in the leagues and also the fact that like skill level, I was towards the bottom. But uh, I found one guy and I was like, whatever, I'll just beat him. Every drill, everything I did, I made sure at least I was better than him. He got picked to the team. I didn't. Um, and I didn't think anything of it until a teacher pulled me aside in school. And she was notorious for being the most difficult, like, AP teacher. I, I quit her class, like, three weeks later. It was too tough. But she pulled me aside and was like, if you don't want to do homework for the next three weeks, you know, after I heard what happened, I'm really sorry you didn't get picked because of who you are. And I thought I just didn't make it. You know, and then you're like, oh, I'm in this super PC town just trying to play basketball. And with these guys I've played soccer with my whole life, like I think we're cool. Um, and then I realize it. And it was another moment that I had to like explain to my dad why I didn't make the team. And after I came out, I promised myself no matter what happened to me, I would never let my family feel the effect 
of me being gay. Like feel the effect of uh, dealing with homophobia, kept it to myself. Dealing with all sorts of stuff, kept it to myself because I wasn't, I felt like I had already hurt them enough. And I didn't want, I didn't want to hurt them or make them feel the effect of the things they were already afraid of mm. happening because almost all of them did. Um, but it was tough and it was, it was a tough time to kind of transition through. And also at that time, everyone's telling you most people don't come out until they're 23 or 24. So you're lonely on your own path. I was like, I would literally go to sleep and have dreams that were so realistic and wake up and think that my life had changed and I wasn't the only one. And then remember that my life was not the case and get back into it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a great topic. It's very important. Because, you know, you don't talk about this stuff very often. It's not talked about enough. And, you know, just thinking back to my high school days, it's, it's such a challenging time. <clears throat> and people, yeah, like I just think about, wow, like 14, that was such a brutal age. Like you couldn't pay me to go back to those days. Yeah. You know, I was just, <clears throat> my, my life at that, that age was just a nightmare. That's where it all unfolded. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, how old are you right now? 32. Okay. So I'm 36. So gener around the same time. So I graduated 2001 and <clears throat> peep, everybody was homophobic in our school, man. Like it's, it was like in our DNA, it was like in our culture. And it's like, it's so, and I look back and I'm like, man, why, what is the reason for this? Like, and I love hearing this because it's just so important to bring awareness to like these younger generations that it's like everybody needs to be loved. Like it's, it's not, it's no, it, you, you, if somebody is different and you have a problem with it, it's not their problem. It's you for not, like, yeah. what is the reason? Like even with your family, like you, you know, probably now you can see it that it's not your issue for them to accept you. It's like, well, why or, or for, for them to have it's for up to them. That's not your, you know, your problem. And yeah. And I think, you know, I can imagine you would have put a lot of pressure on yourself to try and be like, well, I don't want to cause any problems. We make them think differently and do this and that. And it's like, well, that's not your job, right? It's like yeah. their job as family to be like, hey, this is, this is show somebody that shows courage and steps up. You got to really be like, wow, you know, they didn't have to do that. No, yeah. they're really there for like, to, to, to be true to themselves. So it's, it, it deserves the reward of acceptance, you know? Yeah. Even after my dad died, I had to have a moment of being like, I'm, I'm just drowning with all the stuff I'm putting on myself and having to remember no one actually asked me to, this is all yeah. stuff that I've conditioned of myself. And my family certainly didn't, but at the same time, I love them and I will protect them in any way that I can. So yeah, some of that stuff didn't because I knew it would hurt them for me. So mm -hmm. I didn't do it, but I, again, I grew up, I mean, we were, my school, I was super lucky in terms of that. It's hard though, because even when you're that age, you're being told you're lucky, but your luck is based off of someone getting dragged by a truck or strung up to like a chain fence and murdered. Like, yeah. so the basis for which you, you feel lucky or whatever is that's it. So you're like, that's, oh, I'm doing good because this isn't happening to me. And it doesn't make homophobia any like hurt any less or in the, all those sort of things. I grew up in a really cool town. That's one town over from like per capita, the lesbian capital of the world. We had a lot of lesbian teachers. 
Um, we even had like a gay and lesbian literature course that one of our teachers got her master's in to create. Like of all the places, it was cool. But then I think it stung a bit more at times because I was in this like wonderful bubble. And so I still to this day have mistrust of those perceived areas where everyone's supposed to be accepting. And even in fit for service with everyone, I have seen myself physically like repel in certain areas because that's, that's that kind of conditioning. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like I think the hard part and the thing that I hope in some of the work I do in the next few years to show is no one also pays attention to the fact that like it's two men on my end. So it's, so it's different. The rules are different. So physical fighting and those sort of things, the rules aren't as cut and dry, you know, like I don't know. I would say like at least 60% of my gay friends have dealt with some form of abuse or sexual assault. And it's something that plagues the community. Um, and those things are just different by nature of the fact that it's two people of the same gender. So the rules aren't the same. So and also when you're young and you come out, by then we had, I mean, I'm embarrassed by my uh, AIM name, my instant messenger name back in the day, but like that was the only way to meet people was to be in a chat room talking to some complete and utter stranger and put yourself in situations that are dangerous and do that because you want this connection and you want that sort of stuff. But it's, it's a weird thing now though because without all of it, I wouldn't be where I am today. But it is tough too because a lot of times there's a lot of, I know a lot of people, especially in our community in general, but especially in like the LGBT community that are, have a lot of trauma through this process, through coming out, all that sort of stuff. And no one talks about it. Yeah. And that, that's got to change. For, for me, what changed growing up was <clears throat> when I um, started to work in the bars, I remember like, cause I I'll admit I was, I was kind of like, Oh, I'm worried about like what I'm worried about, you know, there's gay people around me. Like, like what's going to happen. And dude, I realized I were like, they were the, some of the most amazing people ever. And I realized I'm like, I'm, I like, I, I like women. So what am I worried about? Like, yeah. it was like, you know what I'm saying? It was like this weird. And I know this is like, people have this weird thing and it's like, what are you worried about? Like, are you actually the people that you are worried and, and scared are the ones that probably haven't come out yet, right? Yeah. Is that well, usually the thing? Because I remember being like, these guys are fucking awesome. We're at like, and, and, and like, what am I afraid of here? Like, I'm well, not afraid. Part of, it's, part of it's the unknown. Like, my yeah. thing has been like, I don't actually, I don't, I won't dislike you if you are homophobic or whatever the case is, if that is genuinely what's coming from you, not from people telling you what to think or whatever, but I would rather at least have a conversation with it where someone was like, Hey man, like I'm kind of uncomfortable. I don't do this. Then have it be some sort of passive aggressive thing or something of that nature. Because look, yeah. no one is, we all were taught what our parents were taught. Our parents yeah. were taught by our grandparents. Like, so even in like states in the South that people that have a bad reputation, it's like, how do you expect these people to have different opinions if they haven't been shown anything different? And even when I was young, I was like, man, I want to be like Ellen because I was like, I just want to be the one gay guy that doesn't seem threatening or can disprove some of that conditioning. But even like, you know, it's, it's difficult. And the funny part about it is because we're all the same 
is that the stuff going on in your head, like if we hug each other and you're like, you know, when you hug another guy, you're like, oh man, like I hope this doesn't get perceived the wrong way. I'm panicking even more than you are that the same thing is going to happen. Like it's, that's the funny part about it is it's like, you think it's, it's a funny thing because a lot of men or, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, will think that like, Oh God, what if this person hits on me? I, I did not, sp- I will flat out say I did not speak to you one time in Tulum because I still am uncomfortable talking to guys because I'm always scared that they're going to take something the wrong way. Or I think I'm hitting, <laughs> I've spent most of my life like looking out on the ground. Like, and that's the piece of it is like when you get down to the bare bones, it's the same thing on both sides. And it's a lot of it's just stuff that you haven't seen when you don't have examples of people that disprove the stereotypes or mm. the things that things that people have been telling you your whole life. How are you supposed to think anything different? You know, yeah. and, but it is interesting. Even for me, a lot of times I looked into like, what labels I use and I always lead with being gay and I've never wanted that to define me, but that's the only one that I have that tends to be like the, the deal maker, you know, whether it's like, okay, for me to be in a space. And so I've thought about that even the last few months being like, but why do I, why do I do that? Like if it's just one facet of who I am and it shouldn't matter. My dad was always the one that was so, even after like Michael Sam came out in football He was just like, man, I wish it would go back to the day where like no one cared who you slept with. Like, I don't care who a linebacker on my team sleeps with. I care if they can make a damn tackle. Like he was like, it doesn't make any sense. I I don't give a fuck about somebody's sexual preference, man. Like I really, like it doesn't affect anything. Like why would you? Like what is your problem? Like it comes down to people being scared that they are being turned or something. I honestly think that if if you're genuinely... Like, why would you care? Or religious kind of things or whatever they, there's such weird fucking bullshit. And like, I just don't understand like why anybody cares. It's none of your fucking business, first of all. Like, it's really not. I think really it's, it's what you were taught. Like I have a, I had a good friend when I was younger that came out to me, but then told me that they, because of their belief in Christianity and their wanting to get into the afterlife, that they weren't going to live out that side of themselves ended up marrying a woman, has two children, that sort of thing. And it it just becomes a situation where like, I initially resisted it and was trying to fight it because the way I felt, the way I I chose to live my life seemed like the right way. But in truth, it's not my job to tell him because if he's going to go out and be in a relationship with a man and hate himself every second of the day because of these beliefs that he values so highly, what is that doing for him? It wouldn't work for me. But at the end of the day, I think that's it. And then part of it is just whether it's your beliefs or what you're taught, it is all boils down to like your perception of the path of how things should be is based off of how you live your life. And if it's something's different than it, there's going to naturally be a question whether those guys are gay or have attractions or those sort of things that it doesn't matter at the end of the day, because it's literally just going to come down to how they perceive things. And the hope is that it's like, it does, it does, it shouldn't end up mattering what you do in your life personally, what I do in my life personally, it shouldn't necessarily matter. But also I think part of what was hard to grow up in a really liberal area was just like, we were taught to be very open-minded. Like we, I had a Spanish teacher when we would get her distracted, she'd talk about aliens all the time. And if we got her far enough on the alien track, she wouldn't teach the whole course because she would be so into it. So we were like, yeah, get her. 
But the truth was, I can't disprove. She sounds crazy as shit, but I can't disprove her because I don't have the facts to, to do that. And that's what it boils down to. And being in a super liberal area was hard at times because I was like, just because other people have other opinions doesn't mean like they think that their facts, they're rooted in as much fact as you are. And so the whole point right now is it's like, it's not, my job isn't to go change someone's mind for them to accept gay people more or whatever the case is. That's not it. Like they're going to think whatever it is. My only hope is that whatever interaction we have, we can, they can respect me enough on some level that whether it's work or whatever, they're able to be like, well, I did have that one coworker and he, he disproved this one thing. He didn't hit on me or whatever the case is. That's powerful, man. So what are you, what are you doing these days as far as like, because this is something like you could probably help so many people with. It's, uh, yeah, man, I think, um, it's an interesting piece because I had one of uh, the members in our group be like, you should be like a gay drama and trauma coach. And I was like that, the, just the name of that makes me want to jump out of the window. But like, I get (laughs) Like I've dealt with drama, whatever, and uh, trauma, but um, yeah, man, I'm building, I want to build a business uh, and I want to, it's going to be called Be What You Can't See. And based off of the fact that I am trying to build a life that I don't have examples for, but I can't believe that it's not possible because there are so many examples in the world of people like Oprah Winfrey or whoever you want to use that became something that never had an example of something anywhere, like anywhere near it. And so um, that's, that's the goal. And there's going to be, um, it's going to be a little bit, we're going to probably do a podcast and a blog and, um, I want to do some coaching and just give people the space to ask those sort of questions, you know, because at the end of the day, everyone has the answer already inside of them. No one's going to be able to tell you anything. What resonates with you is not necessarily because someone told it to you. It's because it was something you already had inside of you the whole time that just got stirred. And so that's part of my goal is a lot of this is universal. And a lot of this is, you know, the path that I've been on for the past 12 years specifically, that's gotten me here and the path, the work I want to do every single day in my life to try to be better. As long as I'm here, I very much think that it's, it's helpful to be able to check in with yourself, to give yourself permission to be yourself, to, to know who you are because we're so constantly being defined by everybody else around us. Um, but there's definitely a large piece that specifically I want to do work in the LGBT community and I want to do work with even the gay friends I have. It takes a lot of work to get on a deeper level. And you and I both know the benefits in your life of having deep conversations and being able to be honest and show up and share the things that scare you and those sort of things. And we've even talked previously uh, in workshops about dating right now and apps and the lack of connection and especially in our community um, in the LGBT community, it's, it's even further And there are those, those stereotypes about, you know, gay guys sleeping with everyone and those sort of things. And it's a part of the community, but I know a lot of people that are lacking a lot of connection right now. And part of that is that you need to know who you are first and what you want before you can seek anything from other people. And so I hope it's hard. It's uh, it's an interesting thing because you can't really, even like if you use politics, for example, or like our country, you can say what's wrong with our country, but only to a point because otherwise you're bashing our country. So we're, we're a marginalized community. So I can say that there needs to be growth within our community, but I can't really tell everyone that the way it's shaped is, is even though it is, like it's not helping. Yeah, you're a conspiracy theorist if you challenge the narrative. 
Yeah, but at the same time, it's this is it's one of those things where you're like, it's not just me anymore. Like the more I see it, the more I experience it. That's the case. And for some people, does this work for some people? Sure. Does our economy and political system work for some people perfectly right now? Sure. I mean, I don't know, not me. But uh, that doesn't mean that there isn't ways to to tweak it and do that. And so there's a big piece of um, what I want to build that is going to specifically just even have conversations and bring a little bit more awareness to, you know, just the state of LGBT people. And even, you know, like I know people in our community that are super famous and I know people that have literally changed the trajectory of history for our community that no one knows. Like that doesn't make very much sense. So there's, um, there's definitely some work I want to do because at the end of the day, having PTSD, being gay, all of those things have made me who I am, have made me more aware and I wouldn't be who I am without them. So I owe it to myself to, to shine a light on other people who may be going through the same sort of situations. Love it, man. Love it. Very well spoken. You're going to have, man, so much amazing stuff is coming your way. I can just tell. And I, I think so many people in this community are just like, it blow me away about, you know, and the self-awareness that, that a lot of us are developing and we have, and we've had prior to this. And it's just really having that collective energy leaning on different people and having these conversations is just what really is going to help us, you know, thrive and get to the next level. Right. And yeah. I wanted to bring up one thing from Tulum as well about, uh, I always say the word wrong, Temescal, right? Temescal. Yeah. So you, you struggled in that and I did as well. And, and I remember you telling me, so I remember that the night before I didn't get much sleep. I was, I was having a little bit too much tequila and I knew it was going to mess up my, when I drink and then if I don't get sleep, I wake up with anxiety. It's just what it's always been. And I always knew better, but that night I remember getting up and I was like, oh shit. So we got to that, that Temescal. So for everybody that doesn't know, it's like a, it's like an igloo. It's like a, a stone yeah, igloo. That's how I've described it. And you'd go in and you, you, there's no coming out. So they start, they put like hot coals in there. And I remember sitting there and going in and I see how small it is and how many of us are in there. And I'm like, I got to sit by this door. Like I, I can't sit in, in there because I need to know that I can get out because my anxiety was so bad. And I yeah. remember thinking, I got, I'm not good. I can't do this. Like I'm fucking... I, I, I had like, I thought I was going to have a heart attack and then I sat in and then it was just like the most beautiful thing. And that experience was like life changing. I've done one before, but I was in a different state. This one was like, cause I was in that weird anxious state. It was like, a, I, was, I was seconds away from jumping out. Tell yeah. me about your experience. So it's funny because you actually played, we did not have a conversation before this, uh, but you played a big role in mine. And so I, it was twofold. I had had a few months earlier while playing flag football uh, issues with heart palpitations and being dehydrated. I had to wear a heart monitor for a few weeks. So I'm going into it a little bit nervous about my body. The night before we decide a group of us stays at this Airbnb 25 miles outside of where everyone else is, powers out. I drink a bunch of water, power goes out in the middle of the night, I sweat all of it out. So I wake up in the morning like, oh God, because I can't get dehydrated because I don't want to have a heart problem and I'm thinking more physically what my issue is going to be. 
I get there, I'm, I'm nervous. Like I just know, I knew it was going to be tough. I, I like saunas and steam rooms and those sort of things, but I knew it was going to be challenging for me. I had no idea what it was going to be, but it, so I saw someone else that was nervous. Uh, one of our female uh, tribe members and so I immediately just did what I always do, which is forget my own stuff and go take care of someone else. So we sat in and you sat at the very end. I was like four, five people from you. I remember distinctly, it's uncomfortable. It's like a stone igloo. You're shoulder to shoulder with people. You have to sit there for like an hour. The only thing I had been told is that each session is like 15 to 20 minutes and it gets progressively hotter each one, right? And so the member from last year, thank God we did it on the first day. I would not have been able to make it through. Yeah. The member from last year was like, you think it's really hot by like the third one and you can't even breathe in the fourth one. So I was worried about that. I look over, I want to be sitting where you're sitting because I need to know that the exit's there, but I also see people comforting you. So I, in my head immediately, I'm like, dang, he must've gone through some stuff. He must need that more than me. So I'm going to be here. So the first round I get through, cause I'm just paying attention and trying to take care of the person next to me. And not, I cannot tell you almost anything that happened, what the themes were. I've read them back since, but it was just immersive. I had, uh, one of the members was talking about the, the seconds you should be breathing in and out. I just clung to that. I did that. Like I was taking anything in first round, do it. And then I decide after the first round, I was like, I'm only making it. I'm only doing two. My goal was one. I'm only making two. Cause you can leave in the middle of the rounds. And so I basically was just like, I am, my goal is not to be a hero. I've done a lot of work with IFS over the last few months to get in connection with the parts inside of me. I owe it to myself and my parts to not try to push myself to be really cool. So I decided I'm only doing the second one and next year I'll try harder. We get in the second, the second round starts. I close my eyes, you wake up basically like they take the volcanic rocks and they create a steam and the whole first one, I was like, that's a blanket, that's a blanket, that's the door, right? So then the second round, halfway through, I opened my eyes, it's pitch dark. And I literally was terrorized. Like, I went back to being five years old, yeah. trying to look in the darkness. The door was on my right side. I'm trying to look in the darkness to see an exit that I can't see, see what's going on. And I was terrorized. Like, I wanted to run through hot cold. <laughs> I was as scared as I was back in the day. And I'm sitting there like just terrorized. And what was crazy about it is I did hear her say something about being a warrior, but I physically, all of the things I've tried to do after those things happened when I was young to prevent myself from ever feeling it again are gone. And I'm just, I'm just five years old and terrified again. And it wasn't until she mentioned something about being a warrior that I actually like, first of all, I looked around and I saw people so I could see everybody in it as dark as it was. And I knew I was surrounded by people, but yet I was like terrified and being like a kid by themselves again. Yeah. So it was the first time that I was like, had a conversation with that part inside of me and was like, we're not alone. Like you're not alone in the darkness. I am terrified, but I'm not alone anymore. And just that helped. And then she said something about being a warrior. And I was like, I am like, we survived this shit. And the crazy part was, the hard part, especially with generational trauma or things like that, is that like it's everyone did the best they could. So you understand why someone did what they did and you love them. So you understand it. But that also stops you from feeling the actual response to what actually happened, the fear, the pain, those sort of things, because 
for you to fully feel that the other person would have to realize kind of what you went through. And so it's why I was always afraid of therapy because I was like, I don't want to have a conversation with my parents or my family members. I love them. I don't want to tell them how much they've hurt me. They don't need to know that. Um, but that was the craziest part is I just sat there. And when I allowed myself to get angry about the fact that it happened in the first place and how it shouldn't have happened to someone at that age and how that shouldn't be, I shouldn't have a trauma response to this day that I literally respond the same way at 32 when I hear a noise that I did when I was five and I have shame around it. Like when I finally allowed myself to feel those things, something shifted and it was crazy. And then I sat through the next two and made it through the whole thing and afterwards walked out and people were like, you're different. And I was like, you have no idea. And part of the last one is like, I'm on my knees just, Kind of like there's this scene in The Craft where Nev Campbell's trying to get rid of her scars on her back and I'm just on my hands and knees and I was like, you need to take my walls. I can't live my life and love people as much as I do and not show the people I love how much I love them because of these walls. So I literally was just on my hands and knees kind of doing it and afterwards it shifted and afterwards I was able to have a conversation with my mom and and a lot of things, healing things, because I finally was in a space where I had to feel exactly how hard it was, but also realized that like, I'm not that anymore. But it was crazy, and I don't know if it would have been the same if I had taken the spot you had, so I was thankful for it, but it was, it was literally my nightmare in real life. Like, I still am mad at Aubrey about it, he doesn't know this, and it changed my life, and I've actually had a lot less, like I, my PTSD is way less than it was which is crazy, like physically, but still it was, if I had known that was going to happen, no way. Nope. Yeah. I, um, yeah, man, that's, that was a crazy experience and the level of, I, I don't know what would have happened if I sat in deeper. I don't know if I could have done it. I could have done it, but it like, it was weird because I had this, anxiety this feeling like i'm i'm gonna die right now but then as soon as i sweat a certain amount i was like oh wait a minute i i I feel good i had a euphoric feeling and that's kind of like i've had that feeling and then as soon as i go for a sweat it always happens so i it changes your brain when you go into heat like that like it's like a science too your heat shock proteins or whatever the thing is and yeah, it was it was magical, man. And that was some that was probably, you know, my highlight that in the ecstatic dance where 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 the energetics of your body actually move and there you can feel shit happen, right? And Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you ever have those moments like I've been I've lived through some tough stuff, right? But at the first moment of resistance, my fear kicks in and I'm like I can't do this. So for me, more than anything, that experience was like, I, I, the reason I stayed the last two was I was like, you have to do this because now the next time you're walking down the street and hear some noise and get scared or whatever the case is, you have like an actual tangible something that you survive. Because I think it's, it's just in our brain that like we forget the stuff that we've done before and we think like, oh my God, this is going to take me out now and forget like all of the things we've been through. And so that I think has been the biggest and most freeing part for me is like anytime it happens, I'm like, no, that's, that's old me. I'm new. Me is like the dude that went to Tulum almost like confronted his demons in some weird sweat igloo swam with crocodiles, rode a bicycle for the first time in like 20 years. Like that's new me. So this, whatever's happening right now doesn't, it's not as scary as I'm like allowing my brain to make it 
Yeah, there's like for me, it's there's this thing of of like, well, I'm gonna die, and mm-hmm. I've started to be because I start to ask myself, what are we like? Why are we afraid to die? And it's not death itself; it's the what it's gonna feel like to die because we see it in movies. It looks painful, and I think that's what people fear is like that feeling that it's gonna hurt. But it's like for me, I'm not afraid to die. The actual because I know that it's actually not a bad thing. You know, it's not, and there I know we could go deep here, but it's, it's like, I'm, I've accepted it as, as, you know, almost like that's your next, that's where you go. That's what happens. It's not a bad thing. But I think the feeling when those things happen where I feel like I'm going to die, it's like that panic, like that feeling you're going to feel before you die. That's what we're afraid of. The pain or something that you're going to go through, you know? Yeah, it's, well, I mean, technically, I mean, as someone who, before my dad passed, because I sat with him, my best friend, who's a nurse, was like, just so you know, he was in a coma, but she was like, I need you to know ahead of time, this is not like the movies, it doesn't just go beep, 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 and it's just serene. She was like, his body's gonna fight, fight for air, fight for his heart to keep beating. Yeah. Um, and it's true, having witnessed it and sat through it, and if, thank God, again, I was told ahead of time, because it would have been a lot more traumatizing, but it's interesting and death has always been something I was super afraid of, but at the same time, I always view the fear more of the people that I love being in pain than my own fear of like the bodily experience of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird that you brought that up because I watched my dad as well. He, I had just flown in. He had like a day to live and I flew, I went in, I saw him and I think I got there around like noon and I, he was co- kind of coherent. Like he had pancreatic cancer. So it just took over his body like within two days, like from where I was at. And I watched them just put drugs into him okay. and it was fucking terrifying to watch, dude. Like I watched him literally just like, man, it's, it's hard to talk about, but I like w- literally watched him just, it was like, he was like on heroin or something going into this, like, Cause I knew he was in pain, but they're like feeding him this stuff. And I'm like, well, don't give him so much shit. Like let him just, you know, like I don't want him to fucking be completely. And I literally watched the progression of it. Yeah. Like over the hour. And then like, I literally watched him. He watched him die. Like it's so, it's so messed up, man. And it's embedded into my brain watching this because you, you, how they, they progress and how you just see them. Like, it's not just a, they close their eyes. It's not like that at all. No. It's like you see them where they're still there and then they're not there and you see the progress. It's yeah. terrifying. I would never want to see anybody to ever go through that. But to see that, I'm grateful that I got to be there for that in a, in a sense because I, you know, I, was, I almost wasn't there. But like, just to like, just to see the process of like, well, you almost like, do you want them to, to feel what's going on or do you want them to be completely out? And it's, it's a really weird situation, man. It's really yeah. It's no win. I was lucky, lucky, uh, because my, my dad was the state I found my dad in was, he didn't even look like himself because he had had a huge stroke. Um, and so his body, like it, it there was enough of a disconnect where it didn't look like him. 
And it, honestly, the second I saw him knowing him, I knew we were going to have to pull the plug. It was only a matter of, of when. And then I was getting judgment from like social workers because they hadn't seen the damage. But I knew my dad was like, I don't ever want to have to have like a therapist in my house to help me. If I can't live my life and be me, I don't want it at all. And so it made it easier but when we made that call. Um, it was tough. And the crazy part was I had my cousin and my best friend is a nurse and we were surrounded by him and I would never, I wasn't going to let him be alone. My sister was newly pregnant and couldn't do it. Afterwards, I was so thankful she didn't sit through it because it was traumatizing. And it was like, and it's one of those things that like, because there's so many things going on at one point, you're watching your parent die. You're like, this person I love is dying. I'm watching it happen. I can't really do anything about it. And even when he took his last breath, my cousin was like, wow, that was his last breath because she's watching the monitor. And even in that exact second, I was like, wow, where, how is your brain able to even process it on that level? Because I'm here. And um, it was crazy. And even after, all I remember is we, we went to go. The woman was like, you can take as much time as you want. And I literally was like, I think we're good. And then I, as I was walking out, there was a plate of cookies. And I was like, we got to make sure we get those cookies because that was the most important thing because my brain was just like afterwards it was one of those things I would never change it for the world I would do it for any person that I love so that they knew they weren't alone but it was absolutely even knowing that it was going to be rough it was super traumatizing yeah man so much came up for me just talking about that that I haven't processed like it's Oh man, it's fucking brutal when I think about it now. And I remember leaving to go for like 15, 20, I went for like an hour to go and shower because I just flown in from Australia. I just got off a long flight and I was like, I had some fucking crazy thought in my head that if I make my dad a smoothie, I'm going to be able to bring it back to him or something. Bring it like, yeah, I get that. I thought he was going to like, oh, I know I'm going to knock. He's not dying. I got this denial. Yeah. And I, and then I got back and he had, I got, a, I, I had, pa he had passed when, you know, so yeah, wow. It's, uh, didn't, uh, it's never easy. And I guess this is just having that reflection about what comes out of that hard time that what we're talking about here is, you know, what allows us to step into what it is we're stepping into. And sometimes yeah. it's those deep, dark moments that that allow us the challenge that's going to allow us the next level of where we need to go yeah and i'm at the end of the day there's still a lot to unpack you know there's there's yeah. definitely a lot of you know as when you deal with when you have ptsd apparently my therapist told me the big moments you're pretty much ready for because you're on guard so i was just like we got to do this we got to do this and i motored through a lot of it um, so there is definitely more to unpack, especially even telling that story. I can feel the emotional distance between myself and what actually happened. But at the same time, I'm lucky. My dad was a guy that believed that everything lined up the way it was supposed to. And he always said, if he didn't want a big funeral, he would have hated what we did for him because it was, it was pretty big. Um, and it was awesome. But he uh, was always someone that was like, if there's something that happens in a time and a place that reminds you of me, like you're sitting and having, he was a wine sommelier, so you're sitting having like a, a good glass of wine with friends or you hear a certain song or you see a certain sunset and that reminds you of me, that will be more than I could ever ask for. And so with that, it's like, those are the moments that 
I've worked really hard to kind of try to connect to my emotions so that when those moments happen, I feel them even more. And it's almost like a gift that that they've given you in their passing is those moments because as hard as it is initially, it's like you get to feel that moment of like, yeah, they're still, they're still somewhat here somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, I don't know about you, but in breath work and in doing psilocybin journeys, my dad comes up, he pops in and it's like, I go into like emotion every time the last two, two times. Yeah. I haven't done it yet because I'm afraid. <laughs> but but I, I, I did a psilocybin and, and my dad was there and then I went into a deep, deep emotional cry. And then when I did Aubrey's breath work, I was like deep cry as well, man. It's like, Whoa. <laughs> It's crazy. It's crazy when I like, I do IFS. I love IFS work. It's crazy when you do parts work and you, or even just have those moments where you realize like, Oh, I've actually been holding this pain or emotion or just this energy that I've needed to get out more inside of me than I ever thought, you know? And even after he passed away, I cried one time in a year and a half because I was tired because I was so broken down that I, just finally was broken enough to kind of release. And I I remember I spread his ashes and I told my therapist at the time about it. And he was like, you just told me that story with the same cadence that someone would, that their third cousin's cat that they never met died. And it wasn't until he said it that I was like, Oh shit. Like I didn't even realize this sort of thing, but um, yeah, there's my dad always said when he, when my grandfather died, he just woke up one night, like six to eight months later realized he was gone and cried his eyes out. So I think initially I just was kind of like, oh, that'll happen. So I may as well keep moving. Um, and you even fight fight the the pain of it and the the loss of it just initially out of a response, out of a defense, you know? But um, so it's, but there's a lot of moments where I know I still have a lot of that to unpack, especially because he meant as much to me as he did. But at the same time, I'm getting to the point where I'm ready to welcome it just because the more I cried, the more that meant he meant to me, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, that matters to me to be able to even still do that. And even though I don't know what I believe in terms of him being able to see me now or those sort of things, um, I feel like doing those sort of things to honor him is something I absolutely want to do. Because like I said earlier, I wouldn't be in the spot I am today if it weren't for him, even just not being, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you sharing, dude. I appreciate you coming on and hanging out. This was this was a great conversation, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, especially it's it's interesting, especially after I lost my dad. Part of why I joined the group that we're in in general was I was going through so many situations and I have amazing people in my life, but no one could meet me on the level that I was at. And I was like, this can't just be me. And I didn't know a lot of people who had lost their dad. And I didn't know a lot of people who had been through that sort of stuff because there are experiences you go through that you can explain, but people can't. You're never going to understand what it's like to be, to come out, even no matter how detailed I tell you, like you just have to live it. And so there were lived experiences that I was like, I need people to connect with. You know, and I think especially losing parents, I've lost a good amount of family members, but especially when you lose your parents and when you're a man that's lost his dad, there's just something that kind of connects us in a way in that experience, um, in a way that you can't really fully explain. So I'm super thankful for the time, man. And I can't wait to keep going down this journey. Absolutely, man. Where can everybody check you out? Where can we Uh, find you? 
So right now my Instagram is Clayton M one. Uh, and then shortly we're going to be, uh, me and a few other people are helping put together this thing. Um, I secured the domain and the Instagram for be what you can't see. Um, so the plan is in the next few months that'll be rolling out. So, uh, if they go to Clayton M one on Instagram, then they can follow me and they'll get updates. Cool, man. What's the one lesson that adversity has taught you that everybody can walk away with today? Good. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's a big piece of it where a lot of us want to look back and change the past, um, but we wouldn't be who we were without it. So I think that's the biggest thing is it's adversity hasn't, there's a piece where it's caused me to be a bit different than maybe I was initially intended, but without it, I wouldn't be who I was. So to have gone through it, there are pieces that once you work on the other side of it, that it does actually work for you if you're able to do it and it also has shown me time and time again that even if you don't necessarily have examples of of you know health and happiness and love and those sort of things it doesn't mean you can't be one no matter what you've gone through or what you've had to deal with well said well said beautiful answer man again thank you so much brother you bet thank you man have a good one thanks everybody hope you guys enjoyed that it's a conversation that um, it's amazing because I feel like there's so many conversations I've had and every time I have one, I'm like, well, not every time, but there's sometimes I'm like, oh, I haven't talked about this yet. And I'm really getting to talk about all the things that I want to talk about and explore. And this was a topic that was, was is really important and I hope you guys enjoyed it. So make sure to go follow Clayton. You guys stay safe. Much love. Catch you next time.